0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Smoke Signals podcast. Uh, This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a guest on. We're going to have Tim Shire on from the Lake County Sentinel. Tim has been covering the Lake County Captains since 2003, um, and I actually got my start writing for Tim back in 2007, so I've known him a long time. He's a good friend and uh, someone good to talk baseball with. We're going to recap the 2010 Lake County Captains, which won the midwest league championship the first year in that league for the indian single a affiliate we're just going to go over some names in that team some memories uh names you might know names you might not know and just some fun stories from that year um and other things minor league related so hope you really enjoy it tim knows a lot about the captains in the indian system and uh, has been covering them for a long time and hope it'll be a fun conversation and something you guys enjoy uh so thanks for listening And we're back with another episode of Smoke Signals, and uh, as we talked about, Tim Shire from the Lake County Sentinel is joining us to talk about the 2010 Lake County Captains. Tim, thanks for coming on. You are the first guest I've had since I've been hosting these.
1: Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, uh, I'm honored.
0: <laughs> you should be. Of course, you were the first one, because we've been you know, doing Indians coverage and minor league coverage together, whether I've written for you or written elsewhere, for almost uh, 13, 12 years now. Maybe I'll be 13 when... The season starts if that ever happens.
1: Well, hopefully it'll happen. Yeah, thirteen years. It's been, uh, you know, it's been good. Thirteen years working with you.
0: Yeah, it has been for sure. Uh, you've been covering the captains obviously a lot longer than me since 2003, um, but 2010 was the year they won the championship. So I was just kind of curious as we we talked about doing this podcast and um, you know doing some research and looking back on things. What were some of the first things that? came to mind like what did you remember or what came back to you as you were looking through you know stats and box scores and stories
1: it's funny as I thought of this uh the the other day after you contacted me I I thought I remember in early April uh walking down the stairs from the press box uh, to go and get some food and the captain's owner um Peter Carfania was coming up the stairs me, Tim, what do you think of this team this year? And I said, you know, Peter, I think they're going to win the championship. And really? yeah, and I think part of that was just me being an optimist like I, I am. Um, but I just saw things on that team that they played together. They weren't, you know, they didn't have superstars. They just played together. They played for their coaches. You know, Ted Kubiak being the manager, um, they, they just loved him. Um, you know, Mickey Calloway was his first job as a coach, and he just knew how to handle a pitching staff. And then Phil Clark, you know, you could see right away that what he would do with the hitters was working. I mean, he made guys that probably weren't the best hitters into pretty good hitters, you know, and I think it, it has shown, you know, Ted, Ted has since retired from baseball. You know, Mickey had the great run with the Indians as the pitching coach. You know, he was a manager for the Mets for a couple of years. Now he's, now he's back with the angels. Um, and then, you know, and Phil Clark is the assistant hitting coach for the Tigers. So that was a super staff. And you could tell early on, I remember out of the locker room, another beat writer and we had just talked to Mickey and I said, wow, that guy is really something. He's going to be a really good coach. So it was, it was apparent early that they were going to be a good team.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Not you say that just thinking back, like I think early on, I know I remember you talking about early on and, and just Talking, you know, all over the years, dealing with different coaches and different managers who have come through Lake County. um I think you and, and Dave Glazier, who covers the Captain's Sun News Herald, made a pretty, you know, made a comment saying this, even with, even not just spe- specifically the team, but the coaching staff was very special. You could tell yeah. that coaching staff was very different than anything that had been seen there. You know, just a very different vibe between Ted and Phil and Mickey than anybody that had been there the previous uh, seven seasons. I thought that was probably pretty apparent. And obviously that maybe revisionist history or, or recency bias, or just because we know what they went on to do. But I do seem to remember there being a lot of conversation about saying how different those guys were from just past managers. And there have been some, <laughs> some managers that had come through there before. And then now after that um, have the unf- had unfortunate distinction of being compared to them, but, some of them well, I, think that's wouldn't I, anyway. think,
1: I think that you know, uh, in my mind at least um, that's that's what I do i I pretty much compare every manager to Ted um, unfairly or not, and um, you know there have been a couple that uh, have been really great to work with. Um, you know there have been some that have been hard to work with, but Ted was very special um you know that the 2010 season was unbelievable i mean you know when they were in the championship they had a chance to win it on sunday night and this is how easy it was to work with ted they had a chance to win it on sunday night they did not win it on sunday night and i went into ted's office and to talk to him and being being a T, big tv person like i am i joked with him and said geez Ted I was hoping you guys would win it tonight because the new Hawaii 5-0 premieres tomorrow <laughs> and he said well why didn't you come and tell me that before the game we would have
0: won <laughs> oh that's that's and, Ted
1: and there were other things where there was a day game where I wasn't able to get to and um, they suicide squeezed they won the game and I mentioned to him the next day that you know I wasn't there I wasn't able to make it to the game that day. And he's like, well, if I had known that, we wouldn't have suicide squeezed. Oh, so he just really was, you know, so easy to work with. And he made you feel like you mattered. And that was, it's very easy to cover a team when you have a manager that does that. And Mickey Calloway is the exact same way. You know, years later, I'm still in contact with him. And he just, he... You know, those are the kind of people that they make really good coaches because the players can relate to them too. If a media guy can relate to a guy and have a really good relationship with a manager or a coach, you know the players do. And that's that's what happened that year. Phil Clark is the same, you know, as those two. I don't know Phil as, as well as I, you know, I've got to know Mickey and Ted. But – um he's another guy. He's a great guy. You know, he came to town with West Michigan after he had left the cap, uh, the Cleveland organization. And uh, my son and I picked him up and we, we drove around the area just so he didn't have to sit in his hotel. And, you know, we visited for a while and, you know, those guys are, it was, that was an amazing staff. And I think that translated into winning a championship, you know,
0: Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. I I do. I think we everybody says too. I think I I especially learned about more about pitching and development of pitching than I'd ever known before from talking to Mickey that year too. So I think not just the play. I don't think it was just the players. I think we all learned a lot from that staff too. Oh, just there's no doubt about it. Doing our jobs.
1: I know you know my my son was a pitcher in in um, middle school at that time, um, and then in high school after that. And I know a lot of the things that Mickey taught helped him become a good pitcher, you know, and eventually get a scholarship for college. And I think that, you know, it's, it's invaluable the things that they Ted, you know, Ted would always ask me, I would go and sit in Ted's office before the, before the games. And we'd talk for a little bit. He'd ask me every night, did your son come? And if, if he didn't, Ted would be mad because Ted feels like if a kid comes and watches a game, it's going to make him a better baseball player. And they, they're just, these guys, they're unbelievable. And I know the Angels pitching staff has struggled the last few years with, they've had some injuries. I think injuries have really hurt them a lot. But I expect their pitching staff to be a top-five pitching staff in the American League this year because Mickey will turn them around. If Mickey could turn Aldo Jimenez around, he could turn anyone around.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some talent out there I think Mickey can work with. I do think he got a, a raw deal in uh, yeah. in New York. I think all of us interact with him on a day-to-day basis and you talk to him for so long. We definitely kind of know how things went in New York was not typical Mickey. Um that was one of the big memories of that, too, was the coaching staff. But I, I, I mean, some of their stuff I wrote down, too, as I was looking through this was, um, I remember Casey Frawley had a walk-off homer end the first half. Yeah. Um, and I we all really liked Casey Frawley as a player, and, and I don't know if any of us really knew what his future was going to hold, but at least what he was doing for that team. Gotcha. Um, I think we all thought he was a really good, a, a important part of that team.
1: Um, I would have to think he's I, – I I guess you could – if you had to say who was the most important player to that team, um, what player couldn't they do without, it would be him.
0: And for those who don't know, Casey Frawley was a, a 17th-round pick in 2009 by the Indians. He was taken uh, 515th overall and, and didn't make it above high A, unfortunately. Um he did make it to double A with the Tigers uh, four years ago and has been out of baseball since. I know, I think he had some eye issues. I know he, he had, had like...
1: This, yes, he he would... Reflections. He couldn't see the ball during the day. The yeah. And it caused him a lot of problems. And finally, Ted Kubiak, several years later, recommended a, an eye specialist. And he went and saw him and and that's it and then ted and phil clark were able to get him uh, a trial for an independent league team and then that's when he got back into uh, an organization so they cared about him after see it wasn't remember, just yeah yeah it wasn't just they cared about him because he was on their team they cared after you know
0: i do recall that instance yeah frawley that year um, hit 262 with 13 homers and eight steals, played a pretty good shortstop, but I know a lot of people who are just listening to this probably don't recall Casey Frawley, but um, yeah, he was definitely one of the most important guys in that team. I remember the first half had Chun Chen, Bo Greenwell, and Jeremy Tice. Chun Chen was maybe one of the better Indians hitting catching prospects at the time who didn't amount to anything after double-A, but he was a great hitter then. Uh, Oh, he was. And,
1: you know, he he wasn't one of their priority guys. And... Ted basically, you know, forced him into the lineup. He basically played him every day, and he ended up hitting 312. You know, I mean, he, yeah, he didn't do much after A, and, you know, he never ended up uh, making it to the big leagues, but um, Ted saw something in him, and he produced, you know.
0: Yeah, he was. I remember he wasn't that great of a catcher, but he was definitely a heck of a hitter, and that kept him – you know, like you said, in Ted's lineup and in lineups as he won up the system. Then Bo Greenwell, of course, was the son of Mike. Sub Mike Greenwell. Right? I'm not getting that wrong. It was Mike Greenwell. Oh, no. the son?
1: Mike Greenwell was there a lot.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: He was there a lot. Yeah. I I met uh, him and I got got to talk to him a few times. Um, li- really nice guy. Very nice guy. Him and his wife, um, Bo's parents, obviously, um, uh, ran a fruit stand outside of their farm in Winterhaven. Oh okay. That was that was Greenwell's dream from the time he was a little kid.
0: That's and interesting. I did not know that.
1: The funny thing about it was this is interesting. Mike Greenwell as a boy grew up on that farm and it was right behind Chain of Lakes Park and he used to sit in a tree and watch the Red Sox train. And hmm. he ended up playing for the Red Sox. By the time Bo Greenwell grew up on that farm, the Indians occupied Winter Haven. Okay. And Bo would watch the Indians in spring training.
0: And they drafted him in what, the ninth round, yep. I want to say? It was, it was early. Uh,
1: yeah, he was a pretty high pick. I uh, He had injuries. Um, so yeah. I think that's really what killed him because he had speed. You know, he didn't have a lot of power, but I think his power would have developed as time went on, he hit three ten that year, you know he had fifteen stolen bases. I do remember uh he was he was he was a little bit i don't know i don't want to say odd because he was a really nice guy, but he he had a little trouble like maybe obeying all the rules because, <laughs> well, I remember Ted telling us after a game that and Because Dave and I asked, what was wrong with Bo at third base when he slid into third? And Ted said, well, he slid into third, and he said, ouch, and he got up, and we, uh, you know, I asked him what was wrong, and uh, and he said to Ted, I went tanning this morning, and I shouldn't have done that. I got burned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess he was. You're not. They're not allowed to go tanning. I guess, and uh, so that's just the kind of guy he was. He was. I think he was a good teammate. I think he was a good guy. But you know, he, you know, he burned himself tanning. So that kind of, you know, that wasn't a good thing.
0: <laughs> that's the things I don't remember. That's that's great. Yeah. Like that's not great for Bo, but it's you know it makes for a great story ten years later. He was
1: a good guy. He was a good guy. <laughs> he he's still. My son's favorite all-time captain.
0: Really, that's interesting. More than
1: Lindor, yeah. Yeah. really liked Bo Greenwell a lot. He was nice to him. He would talk to the kids, you know, and and that that's a big deal, you know, for the fans that go to captains' games. Players that can relate to the kids. Players that talk to the fans. You know, they they're they're gods to those to those people there. And um Bo Greenwell was a good guy. Casey Frawley was a good guy. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the roster here. Um Ben Carlson was a very nice guy. Um uh, he was a good guy. He struggled a little bit and he, he didn't go much past Lake County. He might he might have gone to Kinston after that, but I don't think he made it much after. his game struggled a lot because of the <clears throat> incident at Mahoning Valley where he he injured the girl with the foul ball. Oh no! Yeah, and um, she was she was then um, mentally like handicapped.
0: Ouch! I did not and, know that.
1: Yeah, and 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 it really he took that hard, you know, and he he just was never the same. I think it always stayed with him, and uh, he never really he never really recovered from that. But he was a really good guy, Yeah. He was, he was a pretty good first baseman too.
0: And I the captain being good defensively.
1: He was very good defensively, yeah. And you know, the captains have had a lot of good first basemen. And uh, Carlson defensively was probably one of the better ones. Uh, but then, you know, looking on this right, Greg Folger.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, I I think of what um, I think of a thing that um, Kisses Gene Simmons once said about one of their guitarists. He was his own worst enemy. And I feel like that was Greg Folger. He was his own worst enemy. He was never happy. I remember he went four for five one night. Dave came in, Dave Glazer and I went in to talk to him. And he was disappointed that he went four for five. It was like, geez, you went four for five. Should be pretty happy with that. You know, and so he just, he, I don't, he might've, I don't think he got past high A.
0: No, I don't uh, recall that.
1: Yeah. Um, he was just a negative person, and that was not a good, you know. He was the only negative person on that team. Well, Chris Kirsten.
0: Well, himself, yeah.
1: Chris Kirsten,
0: yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah, we don't have to go into Chris Kirsten. I think we can, <laughs> I think yeah. if, if you're listening to this and you're wondering why we want to talk about Chris Kirsten, I think the idea is that we don't want to talk about Chris, about him, so that should yeah. say because we're going to talk about a lot of these players, and he's one we're probably not going to mention We'll just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't need any more airtime. Uh,
0: no, we're good. I'm. I'm really glad. Um, I'm really glad you brought up like how you talked about your um kids seeing players because I I just want I don't want to go into this too much but um because it's kind of relevant in the news right now and we're talking about a lot of players that didn't make it to the majors and we're not big names among the prospect community and we're not high picks but um you know, you talk about kids' connections to players and, and not just for the kids, but for these players themselves. Like you said, Greg Fulgia didn't make it past high A. Yeah. Um, and talking about, you know, the potentially eliminating some rounds the draft with everything going on. But they I think they wanted to, they were probably going to try to do that anyway. They just, you know, didn't let a good crisis go to waste. Um, cutting, you know, cutting dra- the draft from even down to 20 and then eliminating some minor league teams. Like you eliminate, a lot of fans' connections to players, like you mentioned, with, with Bo Greenwell and, and Lindor. And, um, but not only that, the, the one chance these guys have to play for a championship or have that time in the minors. Like, you know, Greg Fulgier didn't make it out a high A, but, you know, he won a championship at the minor league level. So those are two things that would just completely go away for a lot of people, for, for athletes and kids and, and, and potentially well, future yeah. fans of the game.
1: Yes, future fans. Let, let's think of it this way. You know, you're going to eliminate minor league teams, okay? Let's think of the kids in those minor league cities that they may eliminate that are like 12 or 13 right now. And you're going to take their team away. Those kids may be bitter the rest of their life. And they may say, I'm never going to a baseball game again because you took their team away. And that is not a good thing. Rob Manford may think he's doing the right thing, but he's not doing the right thing. It's a it's a terrible idea to take away minor league teams. I don't think it's going to work in the end. I think they're going to be forced to keep them. That's just my opinion. Because there's a lot right. of politicians that are not going to let him get away with it.
0: I, I hope you're right, because I think it's not just... I mean, obviously, this is a financial thing for for Major League Baseball. We know it's a financial thing, but... Um, it affects a lot of people, it affects workers, but it also affects future fans of the game and stories like we already talked about. So I really, I really, since you brought that up, I wanted to throw that in there before we got onto more players in this team, because people are going to see, they're not going to know a lot of names from this team if they didn't watch that team, because, um, they weren't big names. They didn't really make it very far, but it just shows like the memories you can have by watching a team like this or playing on a team like this, even for sub minor leaguers, um, just the impact it can have long-term in someone's life whether you're a fan or a player
1: well even if you're you're, one last thing about it even if you're like a media member like me you know all of the people that I have met that work at Classic Park Mm -hmm. you know the different people that I've become friends with you know I wouldn't have known Dave Glazer like I know him you know we we met a few times before uh, we started covering the captains. But I wouldn't, con- I wouldn't have considered him a friend. I consider him a really good friend. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I just think of things would be taken away. People wouldn't have the opportunity to experience this joy of baseball and everything that goes with it. He wants to take that away, and I just think that's a bad thing. But we can get on to some players now. I see no, I- Tyler Holt.
0: There for about a month. he he was one of the more successful names. I had I had him and Roberto Perez as just guys to talk about because obviously Perez ended up being the most yeah. successful, and then Tyler Holt was probably, I guess, technically not the second most successful because Danny Salazar was on that team, but yeah. that was Danny, Danny Salazar had Tommy John surgery. He pitched early in the year and then got hurt, and that's when he yeah. had Tommy John. Yeah, so, so his name kind of stands out. Austin Adams. Was on that team. He made yes. it. Um, Giovanni Soto, who was in the G- uh, Giant Peralta trade, was on that team.
1: He was, and that was that was another. They asked Ted.
0: All oh, right, right.
1: right. if there was any when the, when there, when when the Tigers inquired about Peralta, uh, Ross Atkins called Ted and asked him if there was if there were any players on West Michigan that Ted would want. Um, that, you know, it would be worth trading for. And he said Giovanni Soto. And it just so happened West Michigan was in town in Lake County and he just switched locker rooms.
0: Right, I remember that.
1: So, and, and yeah, he ended up being a pretty good pitcher. I don't know what ended up happening with him, why he never, you know, became more of a star. I mean, he got to the big leagues but I don't know if he had arm trouble. I'm not sure. He was only 19 when he was with Lake
0: County. Yeah, he was young, and he was still pitching this winter in winter ball, so he's still around. Um, but he played a significant you know, role for the captains uh, down the stretch there too. And uh, the other guy oh, yeah. that came, came in a trade was Jason Knapp, who came to the Cliff Lee deal. Well, yeah. I want to talk more about Jason Knapp later because we're going to talk about the playoffs a lot, and he had a big role in that. But mm-hmm. Jason Knapp was a big name on that team. Um, another guy I don't think a lot of people are going to remember, and, and maybe I don't know how many people remember the student cover the team, but Chris Jones. The reason yeah. I singled him out is because the Indians traded him to Atlanta yep. a year later to get Derek Lowe, so that's why his name stuck out to me. And then Rob Bryce, that I think was there only I mean, the first half. He was part of the CC Sabathia deal. Um, Corey Burns, he played for Texas, and he was a a pretty good reliever for the Indians in the minor leagues for quite a few years, but he wasn't there. At the end of 2010, Joe Gardner was there at the beginning. He was part of the Ebaldo Jimenez trade. He was actually – I remember anybody who was covering the team or working in the in the press box, everybody liked Joe Gardner. Everybody thought he had a really yeah. good trade. Oh, yeah. He did not make it, unfortunately, but he no. was part of the Ubala Jimenez trade.
1: It's very surprising that Joe Gardner didn't make it. I thought nothing would stop him. He had talent, and he had the right work ethic. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. Did, I don't, do you know? Did he have arm trouble later? I don't know what. Uh, I don't know. I, I
0: never heard. I, I assumed he would make it because I know at the time Colorado was really targeting ground ball pitchers. And I remember he had, was really good at keeping the ball on the ground. That was his thing. He didn't strike out a lot of guys, but he threw a pretty good sinker. And I know those kind of went out of fashion after a while. But at the time, he was I mean, really he good. AAA,
1: I believe.
0: He did. I think he did make it to Triple A. Mm-hmm. Um, Owen Dew was on that staff and he was there in the second half. And of course he's not, he was the pitching coach for the captains last year.
1: He was, well,
0: Tyler well. Sturtevant. This is a name I, I didn't remember. I had to, I had to double check this cause I was looking at the roster and I'm like, I was like, did I miss anybody? And Tyler Sturtevant made it to the majors in 2016 with the yeah. Rays. And I, I, I probably slipped my slip past me that that happened. And I, I don't really have a lot of memories of Tyler Sturtevant on the captains that year. But I also totally missed the 2016 that he even made to the majors, to be honest.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I remember only because um, Tyler Tyler Stotsky, who also covers the captains and worked for you guys, um, IBI, he um, he keeps a list of guys right. that make it to the big leagues. And I remember him telling me that uh, Sturdivant made it. And um I was like, oh, that's great, you know. Uh, he was good with the gaps. He was a reliever and he I mean yeah, zero point seven six ERA. I mean, in thirty five thirty five and two thirds innings, you know, sixteen appearances, that's not bad. You know, so that's a middle a middle guy. Yeah. To, um and now in baseball, geez, those those guys are very important, you know.
0: So. The whole bullpen was good, and that was – we'll talk about that when we talk about the postseason. The bullpen was a big part of that, and the last guy I had on the list was Preston Gilmette, who, yeah. other than Casey Frawley, was probably the – I would say the most important pitcher on that staff in 2010, and he ended up pitching – he's still hanging around. He's in the Miami system now, like, but he pitched for the Orioles. He pitched briefly for the Indians, not very long. They didn't give much of a shot, which none of us can understand because yeah. Absolutely stellar! Uh, Orioles, Blue Jays, Brewers, Cardinals, Rays, and now he is with the Wichita Wind Surge, which used to be the Kansas City Royals affiliate as the Stormchasers. They're now uh, the Marlins affiliate, and they're called the the Wind Surge. But yeah, so Preston Gilmant. I want to talk a lot about him. Uh, who, who do you want to start with? Because we're I think we're just going to go. Unless you do, you have any other memories of the regular season? Because here the only things I have are I have Casey Frawley's home run to win the at the end of the first half, which I think they already clinched. So I don't think that home run. Clinched it.
1: Oh, oh no, that clinched that clinched it.
0: Okay, so that did clinch the. I couldn't remember that did that clinch the their division title in the first half. They finished because, in first place
1: because I can't remember who which team it was. It probably was Great Lakes. That, of course, of course it was that they were. Yeah, I know that they were tied <laughs> with that they were tied with going into that day, and Great Lakes lost. So if the captains had lost. Great Lakes got the tie, the tiebreaker. So the captains needed to win. And I believe Great Lakes lost in like the eighth inning. The the eighth inning, the captains were in the eighth inning. And it had been announced over the scoreboard uh, over the you know PA system and put on the scoreboard that Great Lakes lost. And then he came up and he hit the walk off home run and I can clearly see it to this day. I just I it's a sunny day. Mm-hmm. I can see him running down that line the third baseline after he hit it and all the guys waiting and Ted just clapping as, you know, Frawley passed him at third base. It was, it's a, it's an amazing moment for, you know, the franchise and, you know, for those guys, you know, because Ted always said he knew the talent on that team. And he told me the night they won the championship that um, with tears in his eyes, He told me, I asked him if this was even close to winning a World Series, you know, which he won three with the A's. And he said, in some ways, Tim, this means more. Because some of these guys, this is it for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I really don't have a lot of memories of the regular season except the Frawley home run. The, so I have some memories. They're not, they're not great ones of the of the regular season, with Jerry Sands hitting home runs and beating the captains.
0: And it was he like 26 years old that
1: year? Oh my God! You know, beating the captains over and over again. And I remember Ke- Peter Carfagna telling me, you know, he came in the press box and he said, "Oh, yeah, the Great Lakes moved up uh, Sands." <laughs> oh, that's good. And then the next homestand, where, where it was probably the first game of the next homestand, and Peter comes in the press box and he says to me, They sent him back down.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: They're torturing me. <laughs> and, and it was because Jerry Sands was a nightmare. He was an absolute nightmare. And then, you know, he ends up playing for the Indians later on, and the fans really liked him, you know. But yeah, that, that Great Lakes team was, they were a real good team. But you know, they had 10 guys on that team get to the big leagues on their team, yeah. The captains, had, the captains had 11,
0: yeah. So, I wanted to go back real quick just to verify this. So, in 2010, Jerry Sands was 22, which is like about the upper echelon of the age for Midwest League players, um, about the high, the very high end as it gets most times. Mm-hmm. Sometimes guys are a little bit older, obviously, but not you know, mostly. The oldest you'll see is close to 22. He hit 18 homers at 46 RBIs at 333 that year with a 646 slugging percentage. And he had 14 steals. Mm-hmm. He walked more and he struck out. He absolutely terrorized that league. And I'm,
1: sure, 18 home I'm
0: runs? sure his home runs were against the captains at least.
1: How many How many home runs did he have? 18. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had to have 16 against the captains.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they were.
1: Um, it was just unbelievable. I guess, I I mean, I felt like the guy could go up there with two broken arms and he did a home run against the captains. I mean it was just
0: And I, they had a good pitching staff that year. Pitching Exactly was the reason they they won the championship that year, I think.
1: You know, yeah, the pitching staff was definitely what yeah, because you look at the the overall batting average of that team was not uh, not anything to write home about. It was uh 247. You know that I mean that's that's not you know that's not a really good average for a team but the pitching staff was you know they were they were really good and I think it was the beginning of where the Indians pitching staff is now. You know what I mean the the philosophy changed. Mm-hmm. Mickey came in brought his his philosophy to the captains and then when you know, he brought that philosophy to the Indians, um, what, two years, three years later mm-hmm. when he became pitching coach. And, but, you know, they all, I got, a, you know, Mickey. Mickey's a huge part, but I also have to give credit to, we have to give credit to Ruben niebla mm-hmm. You know, who toiled for all those years in the minor leagues with the Indians. And now he's on the big league staff. You know, he filled in uh, when they, in 2012, when they fired, um Scott
0: geez, uh, Oh yeah, Scott Radinsky. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: they fired Scott Radinsky. Coach. Yes. Okay. they able to finish the season. And um and, and many people thought that he would get the get the pitching coach job permanently when they hired Francona, But, you know, they brought in Mickey. They brought Mickey up and Mickey got it and Ruben went back and he was the the minor league pitch coordinator, we have, you know, that guy deserves a lot of credit for where the Indians pitching in right now. You know, he has, as they like to say, he has toiled a lot of years in the minor leagues for this organization.
0: For sure. He's, I think, well, once the season gets started or whatever happens, people will see or hear more if they haven't heard enough already about how important he is. Um, The one the one other game I remember specifically in the regular season was the final game. They lost 11, nothing to Lansing. And I think they, they, made a, they I think they made a ton of errors that game. I want to say, and I just remember, I want to say Ted, just at, at the end of that, just that game was just so frustrated with them. I, their second half wasn't as good. You know, they did lose Chun Chen, they lost Bo Greenwell. They lost Jeremy Tice. Um, obviously they didn't have, they didn't have Salazar, they didn't have Rob Bryson and, um, Corey Burns, those guys had all moved up in the first half, Austin Adams. But I I seem to remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ted was just very frustrated with them. It
1: was about a week before the season ended. Okay. Uh, Ted was very frustrated. (laughs) Excuse me. And the the tipping point of that was a Sunday afternoon, probably with a Mm -hmm. week left, I would say, and they were home for the rest of the week. And it was a guy that was, like we said, the spark plug of that team, Casey Frawley. He didn't run out of ground ball. Right. And I remember, you know, Dave Glazer and I went down to talk to him. He didn't. He hid from us, basically. Oh. In the Yeah, he hid from us, basically, in the shower. And uh, we waited in Ted's office for a while. He didn't come out. And then we went back into Ted's office and Ted's asked us, you know, are oh, you guys are still here? And we said we were waiting for Frawley. And, um, you know, Ted was like, what, why is he, he's avoiding you. So Ted made him talk to us and he apologized, you know, he apologized to the fans. Uh, he wanted us to put that in the, you know, our articles. He apologized for not hustling. The guy hustled every game. I don't know what happened that, that, that time, that one time, but, um, so, Ted was, you know, the whole team really wasn't hustling. So, Dave Blazer said to Ted, I would cover the TVs. I wouldn't let him have TVs. Oh, yeah. So, we went into the locker room the next day before the game, and all the TVs were covered. And
0: I do remember that now. Yeah,
1: and lit a little, a spark under them. And, yeah, they did get shut out 11-0 in the last game, but I think he played a lot of, he uh, might have played a lot of, Guys that weren't normally gonna play, and um, so, but yeah, they they kind of had a little, you know, period at the end where they, but that made me think even more that maybe they would win. I do know with that last game, and they lost eleven nothing. Our, our official scorer, um, who I I won't mention his name, he's a great guy, <laughs> but it was very. He always thought that they had to be perfect. And yeah <laughs> I just remember him throwing his pen and saying, These guys stink.
0: It was a bad game. It was a bad game.
1: And and I said, Well, you know what? I think they're gonna win the championship. And he just laughed. You know, so it was just um it was it was an interesting regular season. I mean, they won seventy seven games only. That's not a lot. Yeah. You know, what um Great Lakes won ninety.
0: Yeah, they really just had a good first half. Their second half was was not really good. But, they know, as it happens, you know, you lose a lot of players. But they, they definitely were much better in the first half. But it's funny that the second half team who was left over ended up being the championship team, which is the most amazing part of that, I think, obviously. Well, the
1: funny thing about it is the team that they faced in the championship, which I'm sure you want to go into that.
0: Uh, oh, yeah.
1: They won less games than the captains.
0: And they, they did not have a lot of future major leaguers either. Well, I want to say Tom Wilhelmson. Tom Wilhelmson, yeah. who this is against Clinton, I think he might have been their most notable player, and he was a good reliever for yeah, a lot of years. He was.
1: Yeah, because when I looked at it too, I was like, um, I felt like
0: not a good I mean, roster.
1: I, I got their roster here. Um they well Nick Franklin.
0: Nick Franklin, yeah, he was a high pick and didn't do much in the majors, but he was a high pick. I don't
1: know what happened to him. Uh, they, the, the Mariners, they seem like they just gave up on him.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't think he was hitting.
1: So, it that that, that didn't make any sense, really, that they, yeah, I guess he, he wasn't hitting. That is true, and that's, and he was good defensively. I think he was a utility for them for a while. But yeah, Tom Williams, uh, Wilhelmson, was probably I their think- best, uh, their best major league player. A guy that Dave and I enjoy interviewing who started, I believe he started the playoff game they lost on Sunday night. uh, oh, Forrest Snow.
0: I do remember that name. I don't remember what happened to him after, but the name sticks out. He had
1: a big league name. Yeah. They never made it to the big leagues.
0: No. So, um, but they
1: had 11 guys that made it to the big leagues.
0: Clinton did. Wow, that surprises me actually. I know
1: they had as many as the captain, so it's like it's crazy that those two teams had more guys make it to the big leagues than the big, we'll say, the big bully, the Great Lakes loons, you know. Yeah, um,
0: who we thought it was a loaded team that year because they had so many older players, oh, yeah. but so they they not they actually okay, they played Great Lakes in the playoffs, that was the second round, so um. The playoffs, they took down Lansing two two games to one, one four to two, lost eight nothing, and then won three to two. The clinching game of that um, series, Jason Knapp or Jason Nap pitched five innings, six strikeouts, a walk and two hits. Uh, Jason Knapp that year, who did he didn't get there until the second half. Um, he ended up throwing twenty innings for them in the regular season, struck out twenty nine, uh, eight walks, eight runs, twelve hits, and then. He never pitched for the Indians again after what? that. He got hurt next spring training and he never came back. I mean, they got him in the Cliff uh, he, Lee deal. Yeah. They got him in the Cliff Lee he, deal. He was at the time of the Cliff Lee deal. It seemed like he was going to be the biggest piece. And I remember watching him pitch in the playoffs and thinking, man, this guy really, I mean, he was just yeah, he was. a competitor on the mound. He threw, you know, 94, 95 uh, was not intimidated, not afraid to throw inside and, and just knew how to, just wasn't afraid to attack hitters. And, I think he really listened. He had, he had control issues. I know, but um, I think Mickey really helped him, you know, hone in on that first strike thing and, and God, he was so good for them that year. And then he tried to come back with the Rangers in 2014, but he's not a baseball ever since. And I think he had some issues with like some of the surgeries the Indians wanted to have, and he didn't want to have them. Yeah. There was some just there, but I just, I can't believe, and I, I remember this, but I can't believe just how good he was for them that year. And he never pitched for them again after the postseason. Yeah. Um, had a pretty good season too. He
1: was something. He was, he was that guy that I thought for sure would make it to the big leagues. He had everything. You know, he had a great arm. He had, you know, what I think is even more important mentally. He was mm-hmm. strong, and he was very smart. Remember, he was taking online classes. Right, North Carolina. He was
0: in college. He was, he was he supposed to go to like an Ivy League school or something? I believe. It was. I, think he, I think he graduated online eventually. He did go back did. get his degree. He ended
1: up graduating online. Um, you, yeah. you saw it somewhere, I remember, and you told me that he finally yeah. graduated. And and yeah, oh, he was a great guy. He was a really good guy, and it was that is really, you know, you see a lot of things. Um, guys don't make it, and. He's one of the guys that I really feel bad that he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he was really—he was a good guy and had a lot of talent. And you know, you said he was wild, but guys are wild. I mean, Randy Johnson was really wild when he, you know, was raw. I mean, the—I I remember a scout telling me that they almost cut Randy Johnson after his initial appearance in the Expos mm-hmm. minor league system. So, but. Nolan Ryan helped Randy Johnson find it, and, and I guess that worked out. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> just a little. if Jason Knapp hadn't had the arm problems, I think he could have been a big leaguer. He was, you know.
0: I, I totally a, agree. Um, oh, just to double back, too. There's, this is a name some people remember, and obviously we'll remember, and anybody who watched the Innings of the Miners or uh, remember. I, we were talking about the last game of the regular season, and Trey Haley pitched in that game, and he allowed three runs – and walk three and two thirds of an inning. And if that didn't just, you know, Trey Haley was ended up being a, you know, a decent guy. We got to know him a little bit on yeah. that team, but man, if that, if that start at the end of the regular season, didn't, and you know, he only went two thirds inning and they lost 11 nothing. If that didn't just kind of sort of sum up his time in Lake County, I don't well, know what does that mean. I think prospect followers will. Remember. You know, I mean,
1: when you, you know, second round pick, um, yeah you know, and when you tell the pitching coach, you know <laughs> they're gonna promote me anyway, I don't have to listen to you um and that was his first start ever in in minor league baseball. You know you might have some problems, and yeah he um, did. like I said, I think he was a good guy, I think he was a nice kid, but you have to remember this. I think this happens a lot. Trey Haley was probably the best player in his city, in his area growing up, and why would he have to listen to anyone? You,
0: Yeah, no, that's yeah, fair. You
1: start to believe the hype, and I think that just, you know, because off the field, he was a nice kid. You know, he was a mm-hmm. nice kid, and but he watched too much video. I was told that that's several awesome. years later, he watched too much video. And, um, and one, uh, one of the coaches he had in the system, uh, in the Indian system told me, I just couldn't trust Trey. So there were, there were just issues like that with him, a lot of talent, but just, you know, I mean, he did get a second chance with Baltimore, right?
0: Uh, he bounced around a couple organizations. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't know if he ever made it to the majors, but he did get, he did get rule five one year. I don't think he made it out of camp. And then, um, just got a couple minor league shots, but yeah, I don't think he ever actually he, made it. Unfortunately. He didn't
1: failure very well. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. And that's hard. Like you said, cause some guys just, if they were the best guy in their city or their state and they start to fail for the first time in their career, yeah. you know, it, it's tough to take for anybody. Um, in that series too, and this is the guy I really want to talk about because he was kind of the. Besides, I mean, people, I mean Roberto Perez, I think ends up looking at the biggest name on that list, yeah. that roster because of what he's done yeah. in major leagues. At the time, I don't think anybody really yeah. knew other than the fact <laughs> he's great. Great, well, we he knew he was great defensively. The guy you're talking to, did. I think.
1: <laughs> I always thought he would be. Yeah. good you know, I, I, you know, you know me, I'd argue. I argued with a lot of people about Roberto. Perez about I said he'll hit eventually. Oh. When he gets the
0: chance, yeah, and he did. Um, but the guy who really stood out in the postseason was was Preston Gilmot. Preston Gilmot was kind of um, it, the captain's version of Andrew Miller of twenty sixteen in the postseason. I mean, they pitched him a lot in the postseason. He had through eleven and two thirds innings in what? Let's see, three, um, five, eight. Um Thirteen games, so he threw eleven. Not quite, you know, as much as Andrew Miller, but eleven and two thirds innings in that postseason. Eighteen strikeouts, five saves, three walks, three hits, no runs. I mean, that kind of just, and he pitched multiple innings a bunch of oh, yeah. times. So that clin- that clinching game against Lansing, he went two and two thirds, yeah. struck out three, and gave up two hits. I mean, he answered the bell every time they they had him out there that year. I seven and again seventy nine strikeouts that year in like sixty innings and he got 10 runs all year. He was just phenomenal that season. It, it still blows my mind the Indians moved on from him so soon. Even if he's not good in the major leagues, he really never got a shot to prove well, what he could they do. they
1: valued him. They seemed to value him because I remember the story Ted telling us after, after that night after they won the championship, John Mirabelli was, you know, in the stands and – he wanted. He called Ted's cell phone and wanted Ted to take him out. You've used it too much. You need yeah. to take him out, and Ted hung up on him.
0: I I do remember you saying or that story coming yeah. out. Yeah.
1: So, um, you know, look, at, when you're in the playoffs, even it's in the min- when it's in the minor leagues. Yes, it's all about development during the regular season, but when you get to the playoffs. It's about winning. Developing that winning attitude matters, too. And Ted knew that. And I'm not sure John Mirabelli knew that. You, you, there's a lot of things you can notice about the Indians, but once they moved on from John Mirabelli with the scouting, things changed. So uh-huh. I feel like, you know, that that was, you know, Ted was going to win. He His players got them there, and he was going to go with those players to win that championship and Preston Gomet, you know, got that final out and they won the championship.
0: Yeah. He was on the mound for the clinching game. Um, we can talk about that too in a second, not to jump different years, but you just said that. And, and it's so true because we have another example of that in 2012, when the captains made the playoffs with Lindor and Ramirez and a couple other guys, um, Dave Wall said uh, the same thing. I remember you asked him about who was going to pitch in the, from the bullpen that year, okay. and their their bullpen was not as good oh, as what? the 2010 captain bullpen. And you asked names, and he was like, "I'm not going to, you, you know, say who." You
1: don't want to tell me names. Pitch, tell me this. So, so
0: what was his mind? He said, "We're he gonna, would, we're gonna pitch. Who's going to win?"
1: This. If I said a guy who was going to pitch, he would say yes. If I mentioned a guy who wasn't going to pitch. He would just shake his head no. And it was just, that was classic Dave Wallace. That was, you know, he just, he didn't want to throw anyone under the bus, you know, but Dave Wallace wanted to win.
0: And he said that. He said, we're going to pitch the guys. They're going to win. So And like like Ted, the same thing. So that, those, and and by no coincidence, those two have been far and away the best managers that have come through Lake County. They are
1: the two best. I mean, Yes. You know, um, Luis Rivera, you know, nothing against him. Great guy, really nice guy, good guy. He's a baseball mm-hmm. guy, lifer, you know. But he had a stacked team in 2003, and the team in 2004 wasn't exactly terrible either. So, you know, right. he had really good talent when he was there for two years, aside from the second baseman. But um, they, <laughs> uh, you know, he had good talent, so he yeah he won a lot of games. He's the winningest captain's manager, but you know he won with a lot of talent.
0: But Wallace had talent too. Ted, Ted's teams, I think, had the least yes, future. Well,
1: they, and they were, names. they were Totally opposite teams. I mean, you know, yeah, 2011. Geez, Ted ended up going to the doctor after the season because he was so stressed <laughs> out after that. You know, it was yeah, uh,
0: not it a good was, year. It was
1: terrible. It was the worst year they've ever had. 2011. Yeah, you know, after the opening night no hitter in 2011, there was.
0: Oh, that's right. That was there 11. Wasn't,
1: there wasn't anything good after that. So,
0: uh, uh, the big and and this this felt like the big one. I think, I think everybody wanted to win the championship, but forever and well, we know the reason. But um the captains beat the Great Lakes Loons, the Dodgers uh, Midwest League affiliate, in, in four and five games, three to one. Um, or four games I should say um lost the first 10 to 8 and then won seven six six one. And and there was a big celebration after they beat them and um I won't say I can't say the what Brett Brock was the picture yeah that's, well it's it's a family podcast but it's a true baseball podcast we you know the FCC doesn't limit what we can do in a podcast but um I'll just say uh Brett Brock, who was not a he was a good pitcher for them. I wouldn't say he was great. And his brother, by the way, is Brad Brock, who is the Oil's reliever. But
1: Brett Brock mattered that year.
0: He did yeah. matter that year. He was if you look at his numbers, he wasn't great for them, but he had some very, very good starts. And he hit he did pitch one postseason game that was the really good.
1: Second half uh, of the year is when he was really good because probably probably middle mm-hmm. of July through August because he adjusted, adjusted his delivery his delivery. Yes. And that totally changed everything. So, and, and Ted, Ted just loved him. He was just one of the guys that Ted really, lo- really liked
0: a lot. And uh, his his speech was just, it was the encapsulation of the whole year. It was just, uh, you know, leading them after they beat the Loons. It was a, a good locker room speech. He stood up on the chair yeah. and, uh, um he, you know, he had a bit of a stutter, but he he delivered a great speech after they beat the Loons, and it was just a. Uh, he said some interesting choice words about beating them. That's all I'll leave it at. It was it was in the good spirit of how excited they were to go to the championship series and uh, how much that team had frustrated them that year, and they ended up beating them in the postseason. Um, but that was that that speech I'll never forget. That whole that moment in the no, locker room. I don't
1: forget it either. I mean, I think to myself, you know. <laughs> just seeing all the hard work those guys put in and they just let it out that night. You know, they were just, they were just so happy that they beat that team that no one said they could beat. You know, nobody gave them a chance against that team and, and they beat them. And I'll tell you what, I don't know how many more locker rooms I'll be in when teams win championships or, Mm-hmm. You know, and that wasn't even the championship. That was just that series. But those locker rooms, when they won, I don't know if I'll ever be in locker rooms where it was that special. Because those teams were, they were like the 90 Reds, okay, that beat the, the big big shot A's. You know, they swept them. Mm-hmm. That's what the captains were that year. You know, they were, they were the 1990 Reds and, and it, mm-hmm. was, uh, it was very special
0: it was and like we talked about for a lot of these guys like Ted said this was it it was it for a lot of them um, you know Brett Brock and in and, and some ways Preston Gilmett. even though he did make the majors um, and is still bouncing around so the championship series the captains beat the Clinton Lumber Kings who were the at the time the Seattle Mariners uh, single affiliate in the West Division uh, 9-6 <laughs> win the first game they lost uh, the second game eight to seven. They won the third game seven to three. Lost game four uh, three to two, and then won game <clears throat> five three to one. Um, and we were just talking about Brett Brock. So Brock did pitch six and two thirds innings against Clinton in game three. That seven to three win, nine strikeouts, which was probably far and away the best performance he had that entire season. Maybe it was Maybe. minor yeah. league career at that point. I would guess that might have been that might have been the defining game of his entire baseball career. And that was a huge win because they had just lost game two. So that, that sent them back home, um, up two games to one in a five-game series um, after losing game two on the road. Uh, Prest- Preston Gilmette pitched two innings in relief in game one, had four strikeouts and a walk. Okay. I mean, and then game four, they lost game four. I wanted to put this out there because we, I, we haven't talked about ninth. the loss as much, but
1: no, no, September ninth was game
0: nine. four. Oh, nineteenth, yeah. Um, so, game four, Vidal Nuno pitched, and I, I think some people might remember Vidal, Vidal Nuno. Nuno um, he, yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah he, <laughs> he, he went on to make his debut with the Yankees, and then he's pitched for the Diamondbacks, the right. Mariners, and a couple other teams. He had, a great, he had a great, great season that year. I think he had over hundred strikeouts and, and just under hundred innings yeah. for the Captains. And then the next year, they, I think they let him go. They either traded him or they just let him go. And the Yankees picked him up and he ended up making his debut with them. So I don't understand why the Indians let him go, but that game four loss to Clinton um, at home, he went six and two thirds innings, struck out 12, three hits, a run, and two walks. That was a guy who I think even just me looking back, I don't remember a lot about him that year, but I do remember what a big party had. Um on that team, because I, I remember the numbers were good. I don't really necessarily remember him for any individual game, even that one. I had to look that up, and I it, it blew, blew my mind that he had that, that good of a performance. But um, I do remember looking back after the year and just remember what, what good numbers he had. And I thought that was important to point out in a loss. And then another guy that the Indians moved on from that, you know, had somewhat of a decent big league career to this point and had good numbers Unless that year remember, for Lake County. And,
1: you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with saying this. You know, because they, they've moved on. Um, the, you know, Mark Shapiro and, and Ross Adkins, they moved on from a lot of guys they probably shouldn't have. You know,
0: That's and fair, yeah. I think
1: that uh, he was just an example of it. You know, this is how good Vidal Nunez was. Okay. I had him on a couple of my fantasy teams. So he ended up being a pretty good pitcher.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he had some strikeout stuff. He didn't throw very hard, but he missed bats, and it was a weird kind of funky lefty that had a good curveball. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there, but, yeah, he pitched a good a good game four, and then um, game five, they won three to one, and Preston Gilmette, three innings, five strikeouts. He, uh, he was their closer. Oh, he yeah. went three innings in that game, struck out five, <laughs> and only walked one to clinch the championship. Well, let's
1: remember this. Ted Kubiak grew up in the era, played in the era where closers went three innings. So if we're going to win a championship, yeah. you know, Ted played on a team with Raleigh Fingers, who who went three innings all the time. So we're, we're here to win a championship tonight. So, hey, you might have to go three innings tonight. And he did. You know, I mean, and <laughs> did it hurt him? No. Didn't hurt him at all.
0: No, he, he ended up making um, the big leagues, and he's still kicking around. So, And, and they need, and to tell you the truth, I mean, they had a good bullpen that year. I mean, you you have the roster. They had a good bullpen throughout the year, but there was no doubt he was the guy that I don't think anybody wanted to face. It's not like he threw hard. I think he might have topped out at, what, 91, 92? But he just had that really funky over-the-top delivery that came yeah. straight down from the top, and he had that split. Yeah, I think the over-the-top
1: delivery was what, what helped him quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that splutter just fell off the table for a lot of guys. I and mean, I remember he nobody really wanted to face him. That's all the guys I had on my list. Um just going through that. I mean I I Matt
1: Packer was oh you know, he, he had a a pretty nice year uh that year. Uh he Packer was yeah, there all year, he yeah. OERA. He was eight and five. You know, uh, he was, uh, I think he was one of the main starters. He mattered a lot. And, um, you know, they just, they just had a really good pitching staff, you know, and. I,
0: a good pitching coach. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> when you have a good pitching coach, you know you're going to get the most out of guys that may not be that great.
0: You know what, before, before we talk about anybody else, I need to go back and correct myself. I, did not give Brett Brock enough credit. Brett Brock, who obviously didn't have a much of a Miley career after this a couple of years, but uh, he was 22. He had a 3 4 6 ERA, and he won 119 innings that year. And he struck out 90 and walked 28. That's – for a guy who wasn't really a prospect, he was a really – you know, that was a really good season for someone older in that league. And um, obviously, he was a little bit older, but that's better than older I remember his eight. numbers yeah. being. So, I, yeah, I want to give him credit.
1: <laughs> I yeah. could be wrong, but I I feel like I remember him starting out like 0 and six.
0: Yeah, that could be true. I don't. I'm not sure. I remember. I know, like you, like you said before, the 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 later part of the second half, he started turning his back um, towards yeah. hitters before he threw. You know, just in delivery, and that really made a big difference. So you could be right. He could have. I know he definitely found his stride with, late. Do you
1: think about that though? Um, okay, so. For him, it was turning his back toward hitters that helped him quite a bit. And, you know, it turned his season around. How many times have we heard stories where Mickey Calloway did one thing for a guy? And Carlos Carrasco, Obaldo Jimenez. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable, really. Um, I mean, I know Kevin Cash mattered a lot with Carrasco. Okay, so we got to give you know, Kevin Cash the credit with him. But Mickey Calloway, he found things about guys and was able to fix them where a lot of pitching coaches can't, you know. And so that's why you have guys like, uh, you know, Jeremy Johnson and, and Ryan Morris and Marty Popham that you never heard of, but they were all part of that team that won a
0: championship. Yeah, yeah. Jose Flores, yeah. Antoine Hubbard. Um, the, and he he guys, these, are named, these are guys, these are names. Yeah, he was, and he was a good pitcher, and so was Jose Flores. I thought Flores had the makings of, of a decent reliever. Francisco Jimenez was a, oh, a was. decent pitcher that he year.
1: That over, he carried that yeah. over to 11. He was part of the no-hitter on opening night. I believe it was Trey Haley. That's
0: right, he was. Yeah um yeah i mean and like like we talked about at, at the beginning of the uh of the podcast too about just all these names that a lot of fans probably aren't gonna remember um even if you if you were there or you you won any captains games that year or you followed the minor league system at the time just there's not there's not a ton of like memorable names ten years later unless you really go back and look um but i mean, we obviously remember because we were there we covered a lot of games names the and,
1: roster I look at and'm like.
0: Who who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here's a name we talked about the other day, and, and this is a this is a, a name that people who were around the captains that year will remember, but nobody else will, was Dwight Childs. And we've caught sixteen games. I think he got released that year actually, but Dwight Childs was about maybe the nicest guy you'd ever meet. I, I thought he was I, a future coach. I believe he, was he got very released smart. In spring
1: training the
0: yeah. next year. Uh, I, yeah. It says he played sixteen games in that year. Did he get hurt? To
1: Columbus in action?
0: Oh, sorry, right. they did move him, him around a lot that year.
1: On those teams and, and they would yeah. they would bring him up. They'd move him around. So yeah, he didn't catch a lot. He didn't catch a lot for the captains. But he was there during the playoffs. I remember him I, in the
0: locker room. I you know what? I think he broke his hand that year. Because he didn't he didn't play for Columbus. He played for Columbus the next year and then he played he played for Carolina the Mudcats in twenty twelve and after that they released him. I think that was the year he broke his hand, but the big point I wanted to make was I just think that we all thought he was a yeah. future coach. I mean, he had a buck 03 for 3 He was not a good hitter. He was a pretty good defender. But I just remember talking to him, and we talked to him all the time about catching and pitching. And he just seemed like a future coach. And he was one of those guys in the team that I think teammates really liked that um, fans never heard about. I remember I did a feature on him yeah. for you back then. But um, he's a name I, I – when I saw that, I was like, wow, I forgot he was on that team. Um, and then we, when Owen Dew came back this year for the captains or last year as a pitching coach, it was the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, Owen Dew yeah. was on that team. That's crazy. And these are names that a lot of people aren't going to remember or might have never known, but they got a shot. They played for a championship. And people who were going to games that year, whether it was kids or adults or, or families, like they got to see a championship. And they got to see a lot of, you know, players live out what was the height of their dream. I just think that's that's so important with what's going on with baseball. And, I just thought it was worth diving into all that history yeah. and, uh, with you and, and you know, the things to remember. Charles, you
1: know, he knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he was. He was. That was what was. That's why it was so great to talk to him. The funny thing was is you know there were guys on the team that would do things every night and and win games and but Dave and I always could go talk to Dwight. You know we always could talk to him after a game when he was there. And um, you know, he—I just remember that we asked him about coaching because Ted had mentioned that he thought he would be a good coach, and he's like, "Well, I'm not sure. You know, um, I'm going to get—I'm getting married, and my fiance's dad owns a construction company, so I may—I may go work for him after I'm done playing." So he was not like anything that happened for him, positive baseball-wise, was just extra for him. He, you know, he was just happy that he got a chance to play, you know, right. and, um, he was just, you he, he was, he was not that, that's, I guess I've said it over and over during this, you know, he was a good guy. That team was loaded with good guys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It just was, it was. There was,
0: it was not hard to talk to a lot of the guys. There was only like one or two guys that were difficult to talk to. I, I can you think of about I the mean, top yeah, of my head. I mean,
1: you know, the one we're not going to mention, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah Folger, Folger was not easy to talk to um, you just wanted to scream after you talked to him um, you know but like Delby said that guy you know he couldn't speak English he began oh, to, He learned English he wanted to speak English and he was there in 11 also and I just remember like he now um, Ted says that the, his career stalled because, and and he blames the Indians brass because they wanted to make him a switch hitter. And
0: oh, that's right. And yeah, He stopped eventually. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and um, I mean, he had the stolen base record. He stole seventy-one bases that year.
0: That's right. I I was going to mention that earlier because that was one of the things that stood out to me. I was like, wow, he and he was fast. He was really fast. And- uh, he he would almost run every time he got on base. He didn't get on. I mean, he did have problems getting on base, but when he got on base, he pretty much took off a couple oh, to, yeah, one was, or two uh, times a game.
1: He he was caught. I think he like I think he has. And, oh, I forget. Like we could find out from like stats with the captains um, because they do have this stat. He has the highest percentage stolen base percentage in Midwest League history. Over 50 attempts, like he was only caught like two or wow. three times the whole year. Yeah, like he was—he huh. was unbelievable. And uh, it was a good guy. Like I said, he was a good guy. He—he he was a little out there. And uh, but I'll tell you what, he always signed autographs every night for kids.
0: Always. A lot. A lot of those guys were really good about that. I, mean, I will say on that late team. For a
1: team meeting one night. Because he was out.
0: Oh, oh
1: yeah, I yeah. remember. I remember
0: and, the story. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I was like I was having a meeting, and uh, you know, he, he thanked me the next day, <laughs> but I won't say what he said. She told <laughs> he it, yeah. Was, uh, yeah, he was a good guy. I mean, they, that, that team was loaded with good guys, and that's why it made it even more special that they won a championship. You know, great coaching staff, loaded with good coaches and good people. You know, Ted, Mickey, and and. Um, Phil, and then a roster of good people. How could you not, how could you not root for uh-huh. that team? You know, uh, our job is to cover them, but, you know, come on. Everybody Everybody knows that once you've covered a team for a certain amount of time, you, you, are, you root a little bit for them. You know, um, <clears throat> a lot of nights it's just go there and you do it. You do your job, you write the story. You know, my wife will ask me a lot of times, "Who who won?" And I'm like, "It doesn't matter who won. I wrote the I wrote the game." You know, but
0: that
1: <laughs> year that year was different. You know, uh, it really. I
0: think I think you root for the the people that are, you obviously, like we always root for good stories. That's what everybody says, and that's true. And there were a lot of good stories on that team, even if they didn't make the majors. Like we just, I mean, we spent an hour talking about that, and hopefully people will find that interesting because I know we do. And I think from uh, without their without baseball being to watch on TV, it's good to rehash all these memories. And I'm sure some people who were either at the game or at, watched the team that year, who were prospect followers, will appreciate it. I oh, hope. I hope they do. I hope, um,
1: they, I hope they understand that you know it does a team doesn't always have to have stars to be a great story and to be a great team. You know um, that team.
0: Well, the 2012 team oh, had no way doubt. way better roster. I mean. Yeah, I mean, just aside from, from Lindor and Ramirez, that team was way better on the field. Um, but you know, got knocked out in the exactly. second round, I think. So, but, um, it just doesn't yeah, really so at this level.
1: Uh,
0: oh, you know what? One more player we should talk about too, because I we had not a run in with him, but I remember talking yeah, to him was there, Jason there, Smith, there was who was an Australian outfielder.
1: You oh, the other there. one. Look at the look at the roster and see if
0: you can pick uh, out the other one. I have the roster. Was it was it, Ky- it wasn't Kyle Smith? Was it? I don't know who the other Australia, Australian was. It a hitter or a pitcher? Yes. Trent Baker was the other Australian playoff. player. I don't. Re- I don't remember him. I remember Jason mm-hmm. Smith because I I remember doing doing a story on him. He was a. Uh, a six-foot uh, first baseman outfielder was not, you know, like a, a great – he was an interesting like guy, of course. What's that? They did that, yeah. I do remember Ross Atkins and a couple other guys being there and then saying how much they thought of him and the Phil Clark saying he a lot of good things about, about – um,
1: He retired like two years after that.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, he got homesick. I do remember the story. He got homesick and decided to go back to Australia – and I remember talking to him about playing here, you know, because at the time, I don't think there were a lot of Australian baseball players. Yeah. And if there were, they sure weren't coming through Cleveland. So that was a a, a unique story. Um, but I do remember two years later, he did retire. He did say he was, he was homesick and he went home, but you know, he went home with a, a championship ring. He played on a championship minor league uh, team. That's, you know, not a lot of guys make it to the majors, but not a lot of them also win championships at any level. So that's, you know, very special. I would, I would like to see at some point the captains, it would be probably so hard to fly the, any of these guys in and logistics, but I would really like to see as many guys as possible come back for some sort of reunion because um, people who have been watching the captains for a long time, whether it's us or fans, I think uh, would really appreciate seeing some of these guys come back and I'm sure they would show appreciation um, to these guys for for coming back and getting to talk to them because these these are the things that stick out in the memory when you ha- when you have a minor league team in your city um, these are the sorts of things I mean yeah Francisco Lindor yeah I mean you know those big stars you see come before play there before they become major leaguers um, those stick out too but I I really think the city a lot of the, the fans who come to see the the captains play remember this team and remember these players. And I think they, that would be really cool. And I would, I would think they would enjoy that. I think that well, maybe it would think, be a, a good know, ticket seller they, too. You know, they if they planning on, I
1: talked to Tim O'Brien, you know, the assistant GM. I talked to him a couple of weeks before all of the stuff happened where, you know, things got canceled, postponed. And yeah. I was actually, uh, we, we talked about Ted and maybe, you know, getting a hold of Ted and seeing maybe something could be worked out with that. And, um, you know, he was trying to see if maybe they could bring a, a player or two in um, and it would have been great, but I can't, I don't know. I don't know if we'll even have a captain season this year. Um, I hope, I hope we do. I hope that, you know, something happens where we get to see some baseball, you know, at classic park this year, but it would be great eventually if they could bring some of those guys back and, um, and celebrate, which, what, what was a really great year?
0: It was, it was just a very special year. And, you know, like we said, the whole point was these guys, there weren't a lot of big names, but, um, they got to do, they accomplished something that, you know, will stay within the rest of their lives. And a lot of people don't get to accomplish even if they didn't make the major leagues. And like I said, it hold, holds a lot of memories for, for them, for, us and for uh, for a lot of fans, I would think so. Uh, that's all I really have written down and had to go on. And anything I think you want to add a, any uh, memories that we might have missed or I any stories. Probably that you know I've the last over?
1: thing since you know it's it, the end of the uh, of the podcast. Um, I just think of being in that locker room, you know, after they clinched the championship, and uh, i uh, for me it was a little personal. Because they clinched the championship on um, September 20th, 2010. And yeah. 11 years earlier, on September 20th, my mom had passed away. And I remember, That's right. 10, I remember you saying that. you know, that, you know, you, you made this, you now made what was a terrible day, um, a really good day for me. And he broke down and cried because he yeah baseball matters justin baseball matters to people mm-hmm. and look like, yeah people may not be as crazy about the game as me not everybody but you know you could actually change a day that was terrible for somebody into a really good day and that's you know mm-hmm. that's one of the big things i remember about that season
0: That's a, that's a really good point. It's, it's, we should, we should probably almost, I, I do want to bring up one more, sir, but we should almost end there because that, that story is just incredible. And my, and, mom,
1: and my mom was kind of hard to baseball. top. Um, she would have loved the captains. Yeah, she would have.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're right. The ba- baseball does matter. And, and I think those are things that have to be thought about when it comes to Um you know this whole minor league thing obviously uh that's that's i we um talked about it on, on previous podcasts on this podcast about the uh, what's going on with baseball and, and shrinking the minors and the draft and everything that's going on so th- these are stories that that do matter in that i also want to shout out to tyler holt that thanks tyler holt for completely ruining my cell phone that year tyler holt i still have the video i don't know how i got the video but there's me and, I, and the, you know, we're all hiding in the corner of the locker room trying not to get wet and let them have their moment and stay away. And Tyler Holt comes over in our direction. I don't know who's standing by us. might have been Tim O'Brien. It might have been somebody else. Uh, I think I got caught in the crossfire. But Tyler Holt just came over and sprayed a crap wow. load of champagne right in our direction and ruined my phone. Just absolutely. It was done. It was toast. I didn't have a phone after that. I don't know how I recovered the video, but it was a flip phone. It wasn't a good phone. And. Um, that was my only real locker room thing that I remember besides the loon speech. But, uh, Tyler, I did, I did really like Tyler Holt, but I was, it was kind of, it went not really mad, but I was, uh, I was like, you really had to ruin my phone. Like we were, we were trying to stay out of the way. Yeah. We were trying to stay out of, uh, in the corner and not get involved. And he, yeah, my was phone was absolutely that. so, <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't work, did not work. My phone did not make it through the night. So that's okay. Um, it's, it's good memories for everybody. Um, for a lot of reasons. So, all right, well, Tim, thanks for doing this and, and bringing all the stories. You had a lot more, obviously you had a lot more stories than I did, but, uh, and remembered a lot more things that I didn't remember. So I think this was a good I, I trip down memory lane. And earlier
1: today, but I, I could remember from 10 years ago. So it's good. <laughs>
0: Oh, there's and we're and and for anybody who might be interested in and in the goings on of this podcast or minor league baseball and, and covering the captains, I think Tim, you agreed we're going to do a podcast of stories we're allowed to tell of um covering a minor league baseball team and and the shenanigans that go on at the corner 91 and vine covering the captains. Well, there are some stories we probably can't tell, but um, I think we have enough stories that people will find interesting that we're eventually going to share because we're probably going to talk baseball we, for another couple of months. So feel, I think feel, it's, we can it'll be entertaining in
1: on things that go on in the best press box in sports.
0: It is. We've, we've been called the best press box in sports before by multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are, now there are some that that come in here and don't, aren't happy to see us, but there are quite a few that like to come to Lake County because they enjoy seeing us. Shout out to, uh, Jesse Goldberg, Strassler from from uh, Lansing, Tom Nichols, yeah, all those guys. Um, So we will. Tim and I will have another podcast together. We're going to share some behind the scenes stories that we're allowed to tell of covering minor league baseball, especially Classic Park. So hopefully that'll be fun, and we'll do that soon. So, uh, but thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know uh, took up a lot of time, but I I, I enjoyed the heck out of it it was a good trip down the miss baseball amazing. even more, now, but time, it was fun. Anytime
1: you want me to uh, come yeah.
0: on? I'm, I'm here. I mean, truthfully, you and you and I could do baseball, a baseball podcast for six hours and, and be like, Oh, that was six hours. Wow. <laughs> but uh, we won't go any longer for the sake of our listeners. But I, I hope everybody who, who listened, enjoyed this. So check out this podcast, check out future podcast, uh, Visit Tim's site, LakeCounty-Sentinel.com. Visit the New Indians Baseball Insider website. Um, Follow Tim uh, or uh, the Sentinel on Twitter. Tim, what's the Sentinel's Twitter handle? Okay, so follow that on Twitter. Follow Official IBI underscore IBI on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jail underscore Baseball on Twitter. Um, So that'll about do it. So thanks for tuning in and uh, listen for more future podcasts and go visit our sites. Go check out us on Twitter. Thanks.